drag has exploded in mainstream popularity in recent years. From hit shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, May the best drag queen win! To drag brunches and bingo. We're ready? Even story time with kids led by kings and queens. There are many ways to say I love you, just by being there when things are sad and scary. But with that rise in popularity has come a surge in threats and even violence. It's been a heavy heart, I have to tell you, that we had a shooting at a local club this evening. Will these attacks set back years of hard-won progress, not only for drag queens, but for the LGBTQ community? I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, Essential News from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Today, how the growing appeal of drag became a symbol of progress for many in the LGBTQ community and how a backlash against it might be a troubling omen. Here to talk about all of this is my LA Times colleague, national correspondent, Javed Kalim. Javed, welcome to Times. Thank you for having me. So drag's really gone mainstream in recent years. I still remember when it was mostly underground, and this wasn't that long ago. So how did it get so mainstream? There's a lot of things, but it's really one thing also, which is one name, RuPaul. Yeah. So RuPaul is probably the world's most famous drag queen. I mean, I remember when he came out in the Brady Bunch movie and everyone's like, oh my God, that's so shocking. Now RuPaul's just part of life now. Yeah, um, and so for people who don't know, and it's very hard not to know, but if you don't know, <laughs> RuPaul is a drag queen that came up in the 80s and 90s and I believe Atlanta, a gay black man. And then he got very big in the 80s and 90s. And then in 2009, released a reality show called Drag Race where it's a singing, dancing, clothing-making, runway, strutting, comedy, you know, a mix of everything, a drama, drag, competition. And it's in its 15th season now, and it's had events around the world, shows in London and Thailand, Vegas, and it's made drag a, a huge pop culture phenomenon that more than just gay people or queer people like to watch and enjoy. To the point where drag queens are, you know, Celebrities and in movies, they're everywhere now. They're endorsing products and doing commercials, not just a performance you can go to at night at a gay club. Yeah, you see drag in so many places these days. I've been to drag brunches and shows for all these different fundraisers, corporate events that host drag shows as part of the entertainment. It's just a thing these days. Yeah, the bingos have become huge. When you see the bingo appear in front of you, what do you do? Bingo too, yeah. <laughs> People love to have uh, drag queens as a attraction for fundraisers because they're big, over the top, you know, they're funny. That's their job to be hilarious usually. And they get you to laugh and enjoy yourselves. And, and now the last six, seven, eight years, we've started to see a lot of different kinds of drag events where it's drag queens and some women also dressed in drag as men. Drag kings. Yeah, uh, reading books to little kids in libraries and schools. Still dressed up with the makeup and the uh, fake breasts and everything, but um, maybe a little more covered, I guess you could say. A little more kid-friendly. Yeah, I mean, there's different levels of drag. Some's going to be adult-only. 
Some's gonna be family friendly, but my experience has always been, it's always a message of positivity, self-love. And as you mentioned earlier, it's almost always very, very funny. All of that seems to me like a good thing, but sadly and clearly not everyone's okay with it. No, so drag has kind of become this lightning rod for conservatives and different elements of the right wing. It's become a really easy target. Next to what investigators are describing as a deadly hate crime attack. There is, without question, a rise in anti-LGBTQ plus hate across this country. Threats and attacks on drag events and queer spaces. Targeting the LGBTQ community. There's been a count done by some LGBTQ advocates where there's been more than 100 attacks or protests or threats in just the last year against drag and it's not just that, so there's been a bigger backlash against LGBTQ people also. Most recently, there was the shooting at the Q Club in Colorado. Breaking news, police say at least five people are dead after a shooting at a Colorado Springs nightclub. The shooting happened just before the person arrested was charged with a hate crime for these deaths. According to authorities, Colorado Springs police say they have a suspect in custody. And then there's also a whole debate happening on transgender rights and laws. But some of the most stark examples are story hours with kids. I mean, the Proud Boys have literally stormed public libraries. Shut up, groomer! You know, with guns and with armor to come out against these story hours as they're happening with kids present. What is it about these story hours that driving all this hate. What you'll hear from people who are against drag story hours is two different factions. One, you'll hear from people who are just opposed to anything LGBTQ. They think it's immoral or if they're religious, think it's a sin. So there's that aspect. And then you also hear from people who say they're not anti-gay or anything, but they think that having drag queens around kids is inappropriate. They think it's introducing kids to ideas about gender, or even cross-dressing way too early, or they say they think it's you know tricking kids into thinking they're transgender even, or teaching kids about sexuality when they should not be learning about that. And they actually use some pretty extreme language, people who are opposed to these story events. They use basically sexual abuse terms. They say that kids are being groomed. Grooming is a, a term that people usually know from how a sexual abuser gains a child's trust, right? They use that term. And it's interesting because if you look at the story behind Drag Story Hour, the people who began it actually have a completely opposite story that's a lot more positive. Drag Story Hour is actually from here in California. In 2015, there's an author, Michelle T. She's a queer author, artist, who's pretty well known in the community. She had a baby in her late 40s, early 50s, a baby boy. And she started to uh, try to find family-friendly kind of kids' activities for her and her child. But she was so involved in this queer subculture of artists that she felt kind of weird having no options of that kind as a queer mother because she wanted that vibrancy and flavor and fun that she was used to with her, her readings and books and queer art projects. So she actually got together with some performers, some artists, and she organized and launched the first drag story hour. And it just kind of grew from there. So it began in San Francisco at the public library in the Castro district, which is the historically gay district. 
And now you see them in LA, in Philadelphia, in London, in Mexico City. You see them happening all over the place because people tend to like them for the most part. After the break, what exactly goes down at a drag queen story hour and the threats that one establishment faces for putting them on? David, these drag queen story hours that we've been talking about, I have friends who are librarians who have hosted them. I've had friends who've participated in some. I haven't been to one yet, but what about you? I just went to my first one very recently. Oh, cool. I just arrived in Seattle and I'm headed to the Brewmaster's Tap Room. It's a bar where they do baked goods and do family events and sell beer, obviously. I got in the plane and I went to a drag story hour in Renton, which is south of Seattle. There used to be a drag story hour a few years ago that was happening at the local public library in Renton. That story hour shut down and they pulled out of it because there was protests and critiques of people saying, should you be using a library and public money and funding for this kind of event? So it stopped happening. And then a little bit later, about a year and a half ago, a local brewery decided, you know what, let's resurrect this and let's host it. And the owner there, uh, she recruited a, a drag queen and started doing them. Thanks for dealing with the in-car recording. Of course. <laughs> okay, so tell me, um, tell me your name and what you do. Sylvia Ostevermore, and I am a drag queen and performer here in Seattle, Washington. Sylvia is in her 50s. She's been doing drag for more than 30 years. So she's really well-known in Seattle as a bingo host, where she does fundraisers for senior centers. And that's actually her day job. She is a senior assistant. I call it a sidekick. I'm a senior sidekick where I help seniors doing different social activities doing exercise classes with them. We go on trips to shopping. I help them with their bills. I help them with their medications. And uh, and for Sylvia, drag is an outlet for her to just, you know, kind of have fun and bring people together and create a space, whether it's kids or adults or whoever it is. I use drag as a creative outlet for my theatrical kind of crazy ideas that I like to come up with and then, you know, express on stage. What goes into one of these story hours that Sylvia does? So I got to go to Sylvia's house. I got them. I got them. You guys aren't going to get out. She lives south of Seattle as well. What's this collection of uh, items? (laughs) Well, this is drag through my 30 years. And in her basement, she has this tiny little room that's just stuffed with wigs, 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 with makeup, with tulle, with sequin. Three clothing racks and one full closet. She has a photo of her and John Waters, the famous director. Yeah. (laughs) And then she has a little vanity where she sits. So I'll put some lotion on first. And that's where I got to watch her put on her makeup. Slather it all on. The day I went to a drag story hour 
there were about a dozen kids. The parents were a mix of gay and lesbian couples, as well as straight parents. And the kids were, you know, two, three, four. Hi, I'm here at the Brewmaster's Tap Room. And we're about to start Drag a Story Hour with Sylvia Oste for more. And, and they have a bunch of books laid out outside. It happens outside. And the books that Sylvia reads to the kids, they're a mix. So you'll find books that you'd find at any kid's story time. And then you find books that are for drag story hours about drag queens, about gender, about two Santas who are married, um, topics like that. This is Santa Claus. This is Santa Claus' husband, Mr. Claus. They are married. And then you even have songs that they sing and poems. So she sang one nursery rhyme uh, that was, it's, everyone knows it, with some updated lyrics. Uh, I'll, I'll hum it for you if you can recognize it. <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands up. If you're a drag queen and you know it, say ta-ta. If you're a drag queen and you know it, then say ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. If you're a drag queen and you know it, say ta-ta. And it goes on for about 45 minutes, which is just a little bit longer than how much time a kid that age can handle uh, sitting still. So <laughs> that was my first time going to one. Javed, what do supporters say about these drag story hours? Like the owner of that brewery in Renton, why did she decide to open up her space for these events? So the brewery is owned by Marley Rawl. She's in her 30s, very liberal uh, woman, kind of very open-minded about a lot of things. I grew up in Hawaii and we've always been around all different cultures and involved with all different people and practices and so her bar sells you know cbd and allows dogs and hosts drag queen hours and all kinds of stuff like that we do a lot of different things here because i don't know how to just do one thing (laughs) she wanted to create a space for this kind of event especially after she heard and read about what happened the local library there where um the event had to be pulled out For me, it's always been about making sure that everybody understands that you should always feel safe and comfortable to be who you are and be your most authentic. She wants kids and parents to get comfortable with different kinds of people from them and use her bar to do that. If they have an opportunity once a month to sit down and just have this person read a, a really fun, you know, age-appropriate book to them, it means that once they grow up, they'll say, oh, this is just a normal thing my friend does. It's not something I'm scared of. What sort of backlash has Marley received for hosting these monthly story hours? Pretty much immediately when Marley began hosting these and recruited Sylvia, the backlash began not so long after that. Late last year, somebody drove up in a car and shot at the bar door. And nobody was inside, nobody was injured, but there's actually a taped up hole in the glass door now. And Marley has printed a sign that says, this is what intolerance looks like. And she wants to still carry on. She gets a ton of calls from all over the country because it spreads on Facebook and Telegram that these drag stories are happening. So she, um, you know, often ends up getting these kind of like arguments on the phone with strangers. You know, one time some guy called and said something along the lines of, you know, is this where the child grooming event is happening or something like that? 
And my response was, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you talking about, right? You're about to be my entertainment because I don't know what else to talk to you about today. It's Tuesday. It's a pretty slow day for a craft beer bar. Like, I don't know. And he hung up and he said, uh, okay. And then he called back. He's like, wait, I have the right number and kind of went off on her. Of course, they don't really care and they were definitely not listening. And then they yell some obscenities and then they hang up. Jeez. So are there concerns that all these threats, these instances of violence that you mentioned and just angry, hateful callers that all of this might force drag back underground? Yeah, there is concern about this and it is actually working in some ways. A lot of the drag story hours end up getting canceled or rescheduled because of threats. In the case of Marley and Sylvie in Seattle, they've gone on, but they've added a lot of security now. They have, you know, four security cameras outside on a pole that they never had before. And the police are aware every single time it happens and waiting, really, even. But in other states, the events have just been canceled. So the backlash is actually already reducing drag and kind of the scope of it in many ways. After the break, what it means for the LGBTQ community when drag events get canceled. Javed, what does that mean if drag is being reduced in its public visibility? That means a lot, actually, for the LGBTQ movement. So if you talk to any activist or historian, you always hear that drag queens and transgender people have been at the forefront of LGBTQ rights movements and protests and organizing and history. Well, like the Stonewall Bar Rebellion in New York City, some of the first pride marches and events were heavily including and, and sometimes led by drag queens or transgender people. And I, I mentioned both of those groups, drag queens and transgender, because they're not the same thing, although there are some connections sometimes. So when you're transgender, you are, you know, given a a name, a gender, and raised as a boy or a girl by your parents. And at some point you say, you know, this is not me. I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, or I'm not a man, I'm a woman. And you come out as transgender. But drag queens typically are mostly gay men who dress as women as performance and take on a character. There's women who dress as men also. And there are some transgender drag queens as well. And there are some people who are straight who are also drag queens. So there's some mixing happening there as well. But drag overall, is it is being pushed a little bit back. And that has people worried. Beyond just those threats and violence that you've been talking about, are there other pushes against drag story hour? Yeah, yeah. So it's not just, you know, groups of people who are against drag story hour or protesting or even bringing their guns. There's actually laws being crafted against drag specifically. There's more than a dozen bills introduced in mostly red states that will restrict or censor drag shows. Tonight at 10 o'clock, a state representative from Central Florida wants to make it illegal if you bring a child to a drag show. A Texas lawmaker has drafted what has become a controversial proposal to make it illegal for children to attend drag shows in Texas. 
It's a bill that's drawing a growing drumbeat of attention here in Arkansas. The bill to restrict drag shows by putting them in the same legal category as strip clubs and porn shops. These bills say something along the lines of, you know, a drag show can't happen in a place where there are people who are under 18. You can't have a drag queen in a school, maybe. So that would be the story hours that happen in schools sometimes or a library. They're basically saying that drag can happen, you know, at a bar or a club at night. Secretary, please read Senate Bill 43. Senate Bill 43, to classify a drag performance as an adult-oriented business and to add additional location restrictions to an adult-oriented business. And some of these laws are kind of modeled a bit after anti-sex offender laws, where they say things like, you can't be within 500 feet of a school if you're Mm. a sex offender. They have similar language in the law's on drag, the fines can be thousands of dollars, even prison or registering as a sex offender if you do break the laws that are being proposed. There's even a suggestion in some cases that the parents who take their kids to a drag event could be criminally charged also. And some advocates say that these laws also will affect transgender people because of the way they're written, where they could even get caught up in this as well. It just seems that Anything to do with gender and kids or really kids and anything LGBTQ is what's really setting people off. Yes, the kids issue is really at the center of it. A growing number of people are really uncomfortable and bothered by, you know, anything that kind of toys with the idea of different than just being a boy or a girl, uh, essentially. And when you see a drag queen, probably as a kid, you might start to wonder a little bit about that or at least understand that there's different things out there beyond just those two options. And and these are the books, some of the books they read too, are about these topics. So it's really a major issue in that regard. And like I said earlier, the issue of drag queens and transgender rights is very related. There's a lot of controversy right now and laws being discussed as well around kids and teens who are transgender, when you can transition um, socially, when you can medically, what kind of therapy and treatment. It's a whole controversy that's really building in the country and um, led in part by Republicans. Uh, you know, they kind of connect the dots about all of these when I talk to them who are opponents and they say, it's teaching them about sexuality when they're only five. You know, drag for kids is bad. It's teaching them to be transgender. And then the drag queens say, we just want to read books to kids. That's all we want to do. The sad irony in all this is that this backlash against drag is happening at a time that has seen a lot of impressive gains and social protections for LGBTQ people over the past couple of decades. Yeah, it's been a huge era of progress. So 2013, the Supreme Court said that Defense of Marriage Act was unconstitutional. A majority of the justices seemed ready to overturn the 1996 law that allows more than 1,100 kinds of federal benefits to kick in only when a marriage involves a man and a woman and not same-sex couples. Same-sex marriage was allowed by the courts constitutionally in 2015, two years later. There were tears of joy inside the courtroom as well as hugs, cheers, and dancing on the sidewalk outside as supporters of same-sex marriage reveled in the narrow 5-4 to ruling. Last year, the Congress passed the Respect for Marriage Act, which required every state to allow same-sex marriages. Today's a good day. A day America takes a vital step toward equality. I mean, in 
most parts of the country, being gay or married to the same sex is, is just not an issue anymore at all. There's a Gallup poll that showed in 1996, 27% of Americans said they were okay with same-sex marriage. They approved of it. More recently, the same question asked by Gallup found that 71% approved of it. That's huge. To what extent then do you think that this backlash against drag and this violence against drag might foreshadow more hatred overall toward the wider LGBTQ community? I've talked to some historians and scholars and activists, and one thing people say to me is there's an idea of two steps forward, one step back, that there's progress, you know, marriage rights, adoption rights, non-discrimination laws, drag and LGBTQ people in broader culture, and then there's backlash also to that progress, especially when that progress comes very fast sometimes. You know, on the legal level, um, there's things happening like the uh, so-called don't say gay bill in Florida and the Supreme Court level when Roe versus Wade was declared unconstitutional. Clarence Thomas, a Supreme Court justice, said that the same legal reasoning that was used against Roe versus Wade could also potentially be used against the decision on same-sex marriage from 2015. So that got a lot of um, people concerned as well. There's also issues happening on religious freedom. You know, there's cases going on about evangelical Christians and conservative Christians and if they need to provide business services to gay people for a same-sex wedding, for example, a website or a cake they're making, things like that. So all of this is happening all at once, even as there are these leaps in acceptance and progress happening too. Finally, Javed, how Sylvia, the queen that you followed, how is she coming to terms with this evolution that drag has seen? You mentioned that she's been performing for over 30 years. So uh, Sylvia thinks that drag is the most visual, kind of the most in-your-face way of challenging traditional gender norms because you see a man transforming, you know, every performance into a woman. And it's over the top and very obvious and it's supposed to be known. So she thinks that's an easy way to target drag queens and LGBTQ people in general, really. It tends to be an easy way for people to show their homophobia by setting up these different laws and rules and protests masked behind a drag queen reading these stories to kids. And they can just say, oh, we just don't like these stories. She sees herself as kind of the obvious target in the way. We don't like any gay people. We don't like any drag queens. And we're just going to use this all as a simple thing because we're supposedly grooming children. And I'm not sure what we're grooming them for other than being open and affirming and accepting other people. So it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. And she feels very uncertain about it because she's in her 50s. She's from Utah, grew up Mormon, and left that state and that faith to live in, in Seattle and kind of live her life as a gay man and as a drag queen. And saw all this progress talked about, but then she's seen this more recent backlash as well. But she's determined to stand her ground and push back against it and keep on doing what she's doing. I think it just reminds us that what we think is the case can change very quickly depending on who's in charge and to constantly be vigilant and work on our rights and keep protecting them as much as we can.
Javed, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, Essential News from the LA Times. Kasha Brasalian and David Toledo were the jefes on this episode. It was edited by Hasmina Aguilera and Mike Heflin mixed and mastered. Our show is produced by Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our fellow is Helen Lee. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Urbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Friday with all the news in this month. Gracias.